feeding the 5,000, reading from John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. Title of the sermon, Feeding the 5,000. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Verse 15, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace, uh, your mercy in our lives, your presence with us, your love that does not fail, that is for us in Jesus Christ. Be here with us in this hour of worship. Help us to hear your word, understand it, uh, live and abide by it as your spirit works in our hearts drawing us closer to you, revealing yourself to us that we might worship you and live for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This account of the feeding of the 5,000 is actually the only miracle that's recorded in all four of the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So, Uh, especially with this, since it's in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and also in John, we can kind of fill in some of the details here in John by looking at the other Gospels. Uh, John's account here actually ties this miracle with the bread of life narrative that follows, uh, and that continues for the rest of the chapter. So the themes, feeding of the 5,000, Jesus being the bread of life, the theme is all connected uh, but it's kind of hard to go through. This chapter is really long. It's 71 verses altogether. So it's hard to go through all of that in one sermon. So we're just going to break it up and look at just this miracle today. But then we'll build off of what we talk about here today uh, as we talk about the rest of the chapter in the following weeks. And I think um schedule kind of works out. So I think that kind of will take us to um, probably Good Friday, which is... It's just only a couple of weeks away. Okay, so um, four things out of this passage. First, Jesus, the Passover lamb. And the way that I'm organizing it is, uh, I'm going to talk about 
four different things and then um, identify that as something. So it's kind of like Jesus colon the Passover lamb. And then second will be the disciples, the, uh, the unfailable test and so on. Okay, so um, it's kind of how the outline will go. Jesus, the Passover lamb. Uh, verse one again says, Jesus went away other side of Sea of Galilee. Okay, so chapter five took place in Jerusalem, right? Remember, Jesus heals an invalid and then he has interactions there with the Jewish leaders. And so that happens down in Jerusalem. But chapter six now begins with the words, after this, Jesus went to the other side of the sea. So, so it brings us up north now to Galilee. And right away here, uh, verse two, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. So right away, John tells us that Jesus is dealing here with a crowd who followed him, not necessarily because they want to follow and obey him, but because they saw the miracles that Jesus was doing. So that's a setting. And that's significant because this chapter ends later with these people leaving Jesus after he explains what it means to follow him. That's the context. There's this crowd. They see the miracles. They're attracted to him. They're following him. Verse 3, Jesus went up on the mountain. There he sat down with his disciples. Uh, Mark's account tells us that Jesus wanted to be alone with his disciples. And so they went away from the crowd. Verse 4, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Now this seems like a really random thing to mention for John especially since they're not, they're not in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover. They're up north in Galilee, but John mentions this. Now the Passover, the Feast of the Jews, was at hand. Because, he mentions this because the Passover is tied thematically to what John is writing about in this chapter. You see, the Passover was observed to remember Israel's exodus out of Egypt every year. Each family would kill the Passover lamb and then they would eat it in remembrance of God's deliverance. Now, if you remember back in chapter one, John already told us that Jesus is the lamb of God, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So each, each of the three times, there are three times that John mentions Passover, each of the three times that he mentions it, it's connected to the atoning work of Jesus Christ as the Passover lamb of God. The first mention of the Passover was in chapter 2, where Jesus is the temple, you remember? The temple that would be destroyed. And of course, Jesus is saying that to point to his death and his resurrection. The third mention of Passover in chapter 11 is in chapter 11, and that is at the, that's the last Passover before his death, his actual death and you know the, the final week account. The second mention of the Passover is here feeding of the 5,000, because he's going to go on to talk about how Jesus is the bread of life from heaven and how we must eat, right? The, the lamb of God, uh, the, lamb, the, the lamb was eaten in the Passover, how we must eat his flesh to have eternal life. Jesus, the Passover lamb of God. Um, so many people keep telling me 
how good the show WandaVision is. Um, so I tried to watch it, but I couldn't get past the first episode. Uh, people said, like, you know, like, it's so good, you have to persevere. You got to keep watching it. It gets really good later. And they're saying, like, you watch it and you have some, like, wow moments as the show is supposed to explain things about the Marvel Universe. But for me, like, I saw the first episode. It just reminded me of those old black and white I Love Lucy episodes. And it was so boring for me that I could not get through it. Therefore, because I couldn't get through it, I couldn't experience those wow moments, the revelations at the end. You see, um, the miracle, this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 was so, was so spectacular that the crowd missed the revelation of Jesus who was behind the miracle. But we kind of do the opposite, right? For us, we've read the Bible stories. We've heard so many sermons on all these miracles. So they've become anything but spectacular to us. So, so for us, it's kind of the, that WandaVision effect, right? Things seem so ordinary. Jesus feeds 5,000. What's the big deal, right? They seem so ordinary to us. It's so mundane that we miss the revelation of who Jesus is behind these Bible stories. The crowd followed him because Jesus was doing all these cool things. But Jesus was revealing himself to the crowd through these cool miracles and was showing them how to attain eternal life. We're kind of in a similar situation right now as this crowd because we're actually also approaching a Passover right now, right? The New Testament equivalent of Passover on the calendar is Good Friday, Easter. And, and through this season... It's the same thing for us. God wants to reveal himself to us and show us the way to eternal life. So we need to make sure that we don't get caught up in um, the familiarity of the Bible stories that we miss the revelation of who Jesus is. Jesus, the Passover, Lamb of God. Secondly, the disciples, when we look at the disciples, disciples, the unfailed, unfailable test. The unfailable test. I don't know if that's a word, but it is today. The unfailable test. Verse 5, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? So Jesus says that to his, his disciple Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And then immediately after that, John tells us, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. According to Mark, John taught the crowd for, for, for many hours, and, and because of that, he felt responsible to feed them. So Jesus intended to feed them. But he first, first asks this question to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? John specifically tells us, right, that Jesus was not stumped by this situation. Jesus already knew what he was going, going to do, but he was testing Philip. Testing means that the purpose was to deepen his faith in Jesus. Verse 7, Philip answered him, 
200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So Philip says first that the crowd is too big. We can't. It's just too big. 200 denarii, the equivalent of a wage to feed a family for eight months, he says, even that wouldn't be enough for this crowd. And then Andrew chimes in, says, uh, but there's this, and then he points to five loaves, two fish. Then he says, that's too little. Philip and Andrew thought the task was too big. The circumstances were too difficult. They did not think that Jesus could feed the 5,000. So, so we should ask this question. Does this mean that they failed the test? Jesus was testing them. How can we feed them? Does this mean that they failed the test? So does this mean now that they have to retake the test at a later time? I'm not sure if that's how God's testing works. Because if you think about someone who passed God's test, think of someone like Abraham who passed God's test, right? In Genesis 22, says God tested Abraham by telling him to offer his son Isaac on the altar. And Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham was willing to offer Isaac because by faith he believed, he knew that God was able even to, to raise Isaac from the dead if he had to. Right? The, the, Isaac is supposed to be the one that, that God promised. The promise is supposed to come through this son. So if I, if, if I kill him, logically, that means that God might probably will raise him from the dead. But when Abraham was ready to slaughter his son, and we know the story, the angel stopped him and said, now I know that you fear God. What does that mean? Now I know that you fear God. Because the thing is, God already knew even before the test. So the testing that Abraham passed, the testing was not for God to know Abraham, but for Abraham to know God. Because the process, the process of going through the test was designed to deepen Abraham's faith in God. So, whenever God tests our faith, whether we pass or fail, the end goal is the same. Right? Whether we trust with flying colors or barely trust by the skin of our teeth or even fail to trust in the moment, the end result is that through the process of the test that he deepens our faith in Christ. The disciples, the unfailable test. Thirdly, the bread, the bread, colon, they ate their fill. Bread, the bread, they ate their fill. Verse 10, they said, have the people sit down. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Uh, men sat down by 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves, gave them thanks, distributed them to those who were seated, also the fish, and then it says, as much as they wanted. And then verse 12 says, and when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, 
gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So the feeding of the 5,000 men, and then, you know, you've heard from commentators and things, like there were probably a lot more than 5,000 because they're counting the men. The feeding of the 5,000 was not like when we take communion, right? And everyone has a, a piece of a cracker, right? And then afterwards we say, oh, we all ate together. It's not like that. Here, everyone, it says, ate as much as they wanted. Everyone there was full. Verse 13, so they gathered them up, filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. You know, normally after you eat, the table uh, has a lot less food than, than what you started with, right? Like that's normally how it works. But here, there's actually more left at the end of the meal than what they started with at the beginning of the meal because the miracle revealed the nature of eating the bread of life. Jesus would say later on in this passage in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And again in verse 51, anyone eats of this bread he will live forever. So the promise is that everyone who eats of him will be completely and forever satisfied. That is the nature of eating the bread of life. Earlier this month, I was really looking forward to, to, the, to the release of the movie Coming to America. It's a sequel to the original Coming to America, they did something creative there with the title. It was called Coming to America. Second one, they put Coming to number number two, America. Okay. Was looking forward to it because the original was very funny, classic Eddie Murphy. So there was much anticipation for this movie and there was much anticipation in my heart. Was so excited about it. It was like watching the interviews by the cast members, Eddie promoting the movie. I was like, oh, I'm so excited. It's going to be so funny. So I saw it soon after it was released. But the movie ended up to be a huge disappointment. It just wasn't funny. The movie just didn't work. It was, everything was just all wrong. I wish they had asked me to screen it before they released it. could have told them it was all wrong. So, like, so in the process of watching this movie, so, so this is how it went. In the beginning, there was excitement. And you know what, you know, like how it goes when there's excitement. There, I was like, there's excitement. The head is going like this. I'm excited. Okay. And in the middle, in the middle, like that's when the realization sets in. Like there's a little confusion. So the head goes like this. This isn't funny. This is this is this, this, uh, this, this, this not right. And then by the end, that's where that's when the disappointment sets in. That's when the that's when the head goes like this. You see, that's that's the nature of hoping in anything in this world. Like we we've all experienced that, right? with the things that we're 
we're we're excited about hoping in in this life you know you've you've gone through that process of oh, yeah i'm so excited ah. and then in the end it's just like you're shaking well why did i put my hope in that because worldly things never fail to let us down jesus promises here to give us full hearts whoever comes to me shall not hunger Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. So, so experiencing the miracle, right, for, for the crowd, the, the feeling of the full stomach and seeing the leftover baskets was supposed to make them come to the conclusion, this, this feeling in my stomach is what Jesus is promising to do for me in my heart. Because everyone ate their fill. Fourthly, lastly, the crowd. The crowd, colon, make him king. Make him king. Verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Um, this is a reference to Deuteronomy 18, Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, where God promises to send the prophet like Moses. So Jesus providing the bread made the people think about Moses and the provision of manna in the wilderness. So it made them think about Moses. This is indeed the prophet who is to come like Moses into the world. And so it would have been fine and it would have been right if after saying this, they bowed in worship, right? Bowed down to Jesus in worship and then followed Jesus to the cross. But that's not what the next verse says. Verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The crowd, seeing the miracle, thought to make him king. And so... Jesus withdrew. This is really an ironic concept, isn't it? That the people would try by force to make him king over them. It's, uh, it's, there's irony there because a true king is supposed to be the one in charge. A king is supposed to be the one who gives the orders to the people. But the crowd, they saw that Jesus provided food, they perceive that Jesus can give them more things, like victory over Rome, for example. So they sought to make him king. Think about that, to make him king. In other words, they were the real kings, and they wanted Jesus to serve them as their king. But Jesus wouldn't have any of that. Jesus would be king, but he would be a different kind of king. His kingship would come not by the sword, but through suffering. His kingship come through his own sacrificial death on the cross. But the crowd didn't want any part of a king like that. There was no rally after the miracle that the crowd expected. So this chapter ends with verse 66. After this, Many of his disciples turned back 
and no longer walked with him. So much of the crowd stopped following Jesus. So I think this is a good question to end on. This is a good question that this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is leaving us with. And that is this. What kind of king are we following? What kind of king do you want in your life? Do we want the authority to make him king over us? Where I get the final say? Or is he truly the king over our lives? Is he the king of our lives? that we're willing to follow to the cross. That no matter what he calls us to, Jesus, because you are the king that gave your life for me, I am willing to follow you no matter what. May we ponder that question as we continue to meditate during this Lent season, as we anticipate Good Friday, Easter, as we celebrate our Passover sacrifice. And may we truly come to that place of where we worship the Lamb of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word reveals to us who you are. We pray that you would open our, our eyes, soften our hearts, uh, help us to overcome the familiarity of the Bible stories, um, how we made the extraordinary so ordinary and common. Pray that we would uh, see the revelation of Jesus and be in awe of who you are, that Jesus gave himself for us, a Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. May he indeed be the king of our hearts, the king over all aspects of our lives, that we might submit ourselves to him unconditionally. Thank you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue on this Lent season, let's uh, reflect on our lives and our walk with God and our hopes and ambitions and all of those things. And and uh, as we do that, let's draw near to God. I think it's really, really interesting, isn't it? That um, God's kingdom paradigm is so different than the worldly paradigm, right? In the world, uh, we're, we're, we believe in the world that like we're, we're more full the more we have, right? Like the more you have stocked up in your pantry, the more you have in your bank account, the more you have the ability to, you know, like, buy stuff or buy food or whatever then then we're full but somehow in the end you end up still being empty kingdom paradigm says like it's actually a pathway of suffering there's actually going to be a lot of hardships and sufferings in our lives but somehow in the end that's going to uh, result in full hearts whoever eats the bread of life will be satisfied. We'll have eternal life. Um, and that's the promise that we have in Jesus Christ. 
So let's realign our hearts to kingdom principles. Don't repent of our hopes of things in this world that he might turn our shaking heads into nodding anticipation of kingdom things. So let's pray that as we anticipate uh, more and more of his blessings during this Lent season. Just pray for a moment. I'll close this in prayer and benediction. Heavenly Father, we once again thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that gives life. And uh, we repent as well for the ways that we seek to be king over our lives, the way that we even seek to control and manipulate God over our lives to get the things that we want and maneuver um, uh, even following Jesus into a path that is desirable for us. Lord, help us to uh, come to the cross. Help us to truly know the revelation of Jesus through your word. Help us to worship the King uh, behind the miracles. And Lord, help us to be satisfied only in Jesus himself. We strengthen our hearts and satisfy our hearts through the bread of life. As we pray that now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, this unchanging covenant love of the Father God, the fellowship and the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forever. Amen.